Good morning. You have these prayer cards next to you. I'm going to mention this every week through January. You want to put one prayer in or five or however many you want. We're going to be praying through these throughout 2022. We're already starting to do that uh, this month. And so uh, at our hour of prayer on Saturday morning, we pray over these individually. And then uh, on our Zoom meeting also on Saturday morning. By the way, if you, if you would join us for prayer on Saturday morning, we would love that. Uh, just praying for our church. And so we have a Zoom and uh, our prayer in the fellowship hall from 8 to 9. And I send these out also. So uh, if you would like to be a part of the people that are praying for these, if you email me, I'll put you on that list. Right now, I think there's about 20 people that I send these to every week on Saturday morning. And they take them and pray for them as well as at our hour of prayer. So I, this is central to everything we're doing here, is prayer. So our prayer meetings on that week, uh, beginning of the 24th, will be here from 6.30 to 7.30. And we're just going to pray for our church. That's what we're doing before, the, before we go to the focus dinner. Normally, over the years that have gone by, we've taken the week after. We're going to take the week before our, fellowship, our focus dinner and pray for Calvary Chapel South. I remember Pastor Chuck, my pastor down in Costa Mesa, he would say, when you, when you sit down to have a meal, just pray, Lord, please bless Calvary Chapel. I would ask the same for you. Lord, just please bless Calvary Chapel. What, what's going on here? So these things are super uh, on the horizon, but we got to be praying. We have to be a praying people. Amen? So the other thing I wanted to mention, just I've mentioned this before, but I want to say it again. When I put together my studies, I put a lot of Scripture in them. And so that's for me more than anything, because I'm handling, every time I put the scripture in, I'm handling it again. I want to handle the Bible as much as possible. But there's always more than what, or, um, what uh, I will go through during the study. So I want to say to you if, you, if some message ministers to you and you're wondering, you couldn't keep up with me, or the scriptures, or I don't keep up with myself, uh, if you just email me that Sunday... I'll, I'll send you my notes because all the scriptures are in there. So another shout out to our booth people who are trying to keep up with me. Uh, my, uh, I believe, and I know you do too, that when we read the word of God, when we hear the word of God, when we memorize the word of God, when we meditate in the word of God, God is speaking to us every time because it's his word, not ours. So I want to load us up with the scriptures. I want us to go away with full meal deal. So this morning, no different. And I love this whole thing that I was handed as a heritage from Pastor Chuck. Just get in the word and stay in the word of God. Would you say amen to that? We're going to load ourselves up with the word of God again this morning. So if you would stand, Exodus chapter 17, God is present to test you. Do you like that idea? God is present to test you. Test your heart. So then, uh, 17, 1 through 7. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? Now this is, this is the beginning of sorrows in some ways for Moses. They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. 
So he called the name of, that, of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, our response of reading this morning is Psalm 62, a calm resolve to wait for the salvation of God. David wrote this. So if you would take the second verse and even and repeat them together, I'll do the first and odd. Truly, my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. So, Lord, we bow before you in your word as we're standing to honor your word that you said you esteem above your name. And we want to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. We want to hear what you're saying to us this morning, Lord. So the things I prepared, I pray you break them f- fresh Feed us, we are hungry. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Help us to receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. We know the scriptures is for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction of righteousness that we may be fully equipped. Please, Lord, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So lessons in the wild, God's presence in the wilderness. This, this series of studies is unfolded as follows. We have five total, the first Two, and then today, God is present to heal your life. So what's going on in your, in, with God and you in the wilderness of this world? God is present to heal your life. God is present to receive from him. We're not very good receivers, but God is the giver. We're the receiver. God's the initiator. We're the responder. This morning, God is present to test your heart. I love what C.S. Lewis said. We only learn to behave ourselves in the presence of God. The opposite of that, in a sense, A.W. Tozer said, we cannot enter into the presence of God while, while we are rebelling against God. So in Exodus 17, all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey, and they said there's no water for the people to drink. The circumstance is set. God has led them. The problem is clear. There's no water. That's a problem. Now, this is the second time they had a problem with water. The first time they came to Mara and the Bitter waters were made miraculously sweet. God did that miraculously. This morning, there is no water, but God miraculously provided that from, get this, a rock. We'll look at that. 
So therefore the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? Now this is a major part of what we're going to talk about this morning. Contend is a key word. It has the idea of quarreling and striving and arguing, but it's person to person. Why are you contending with me, Moses said. But then he says, and why do you tempt the Lord? Tempt, this word, is the problem. See, this is between me and God. The contention between them and Moses, but really the contention was between them and God. So what does it mean to tempt the Lord? Three things that I see in this passage and also that clarifies when you read the same thing in other scriptures. To tempt the Lord is to contend against his authority. To tempt the Lord is to complain against his goodness. So two areas, God's authority and God's goodness. The third is to tempt the Lord to challenge God to prove himself. And I wrote a little thing here, yikes. (laughs) To challenge God to prove himself. Now, I've mentioned this documentary. It's on, it has to do with, I forget the name of it now because I'm pulling this out of my memory. And that's always a a tough thing to do these days. (laughs) But anyway, these young pastors are challenging God, challenging his word, and saying, if God's like that, then I don't want anything to do with him. Is there a hell? You bet there's a hell. Is God a child abuser on the cross with his son? I mean, these are things I go, yikes, whoa. So to tempt the Lord is contend against his authority, against his goodness, and basically say, God, prove it. Prove yourself. So the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out, saying, what shall I do with his people? They're almost ready to stone me. As one commentator said, quote, an angry mob solution to an irritating problem, kill them. <laughs> and we know all about that these days. Repeatedly, as Moses endured the audacity of the children of God, children of Israel, He had a habit of crying out to the Lord. That's a good habit. Would you say amen to that? But as this hostility increases, and we're going to see this through Exodus, as the hostility increases between Moses and the people, the attitudes of the people started to get under his skin and into his heart. Moses becomes the complainer also. So complaining is a common malady of our hearts. Though we may say, I don't want to complain, but. I hate to complain, but. The fact is, I don't like this anymore than you do, but the fact is we like to complain. It's been shown that we complain once every minute in a conversation. I started thinking about that and said, I don't want to think about that anymore. (laughs) It's it's, It's just a part of how we communicate. If you stop just and you have to do this now because you're hearing it. As you're in conversation, how much complaint is involved? You see, it's a common malady of the fallen sinful heart. Our brains are wired for complaining because when we complain, it gets easier to complain. It's like Eeyore. And when someone around you is complaining you are more likely to complain yourself. So not only is it common, it's contagious for the sinful heart. 
Now we're going to, we've talked about this a little bit, and this is part of what we're going to be reading in Exodus a lot. So the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand your rod, which you struck the water, the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so, notice, in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So the language, this is important, the language in this passage is, has a legal tone to it, a clear legal tone to it. Both are legal terms. Masa means to test or to tempt. Meribah means contention or quarreling or striving or arguing, making arguments. So the terminology is that of a covenant lawsuit. You might say it's an attempted court-martial of Moses. They're putting this military leader, and God said he's my armies, so they're putting him up for trial. And in that, they're going to list their grievances against him. They're going to find him guilty, and then they're going to say, kill him, capital punishment. So the rod in Moses' hand speaks of the authority of God. God put it there. God said, take it. When he raised it up, it's speaking of the authority of God. We'll see this in the next study. He strikes the Nile, the first plague, and the waters become blood. Judgment, authority. He strikes the rock under God's command, and water flows from it. God's authority in Moses' call, calling as the leader. Then you have the elders of Israel that are to join them. God said that. And so they're the recognized governing leadership of the people. They're to stand with Moses before the people. Court is now in session. So this is what I want to note again, as last week, that God isn't taking sides. He told Moses he would stand before there on the rock in Horeb and bring water out of the rock, in the rock being smitten, what did God do? He provided for them. So in spite of them tempting him, God stood before them and provided for them. So even though it was in spite of their tempting, I want to say this morning as we look at this, this is serious stuff in tempting the Lord. It's serious stuff in complaining because it has to do with our hearts how our hearts are operating under God's authority and God's goodness. So to put the Lord on trial by challenging his authority and his goodness as though he must answer us. And so it's as though God needs to, does God need to prove anything? Does he need to prove anything about his authority and goodness? Or as though God, not, he, he already proved everything for us. His authority and his goodness. And we are still around. <laughs> In spite of our wavering hearts, we're still here to enjoy his authority and his goodness. To prosper under the authority and goodness of God. He proved it and demonstrated at the cross that we are loved by him. That we are forgiven by him. That we are blessed by him. That we are saved by him. 
because of his authority and his goodness in and over our lives. And I say, yikes, again. This is what we're looking at, the picture of our redemption. So he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah, the dual name of contention and tempting. People to people, person to God. Now, in less than six months, the children of Israel had witnessed God's judgment of Egypt, the ten plagues. He opened the Red Sea for them and destroyed Egypt in it. They had the pillar of cloud by day, the fire by night to lead them and direct them, his presence. They saw the sweetening of the water so they could have drink. They saw the sending of the food so they were sustained by God for 40 years. These are the things, just six months. And yet they come to Moses, is the Lord among us or not? Now they might as well have been saying that directly to God. Are you with us or not? See, that's what's really going on in their, in their hearts. So they pick a fight with Moses, but really in reality, they're arguing with God. Kent Hughes said, quote, all our complaints go straight to the top where God rules the universe by his sovereign power, unquote. Yikes. So it's as though they're saying, are you going to provide for us or not? And in that question, there's a a sort of a veiled demand on God, as though he might not. Are you going to protect us or not? It comes with this subtle demand in tempting God, complaining about his goodness, contending with his authority. And then, are you going to prove it or not? This is just a subtle demand. Do you you capture that a little bit? The specific incident became a future warning 40 years later before they went into the promised land. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord our God, his authority, his testimonies, his statutes, which he's commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, his authority, that it may be well with you, his goodness. That you may go in and possess the good land, his goodness, of which the Lord swore to your fathers his promises to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken, his authority and his goodness. Jesus quotes this in contending with the devil. Same issues. Then the devil took Jesus up in the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if or since you are the son of God, his authority, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Goodness. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So in truth, It is not Moses who they're putting on trial. It's the Lord God of Israel. Now, Job sought to do the same thing. He said, if I could have my day in court with God, I'd prove a few things. And when God finally answered Job's challenge, it wasn't God on trial at all. It was Job. God was testing Job as he tests us. So Job 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, 
Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Man up. He goes on in chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. He goes on. Then Job answered the Lord. So this is a dialogue. God loves to dialogue. So God says, okay. And Job says, okay. And they have this dialogue. And then Job answered the Lord, verse 3, and said, this is his answer. When he realized what was going on in his heart. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yet twice, but I will proceed. No, so I'm done. And then you get to chapter Verse 6, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? I mean, this is, this is serious stuff here. And so, for two chapters, God questions Job. In, jo in chapter 9, 40 verse 9. Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Tread down the wicked in their place. Then I will also confess to you that your own right, right hand can save you. Look now at the behemoth. Then he talks about this behemoth, this massive animal. And then as you get to chapter 41, can you draw out Leviathan, this massive whatever it is. I'm not quite sure a lot of different thoughts on that. But something so Bigger than Job by a long shot that God created. So God's questions are, have you? Can you? Will you? Who can? He's asking these questions of Job. And then Job's final answer. Is that your final answer? Here's Job's final answer. Chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withdrawn from authority. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know, his goodness. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Listen, but now my eyes see you. That is the goodness of God. In, in taking Job where he was at and saying, let me ask you a few questions. Let me see what you think. And in the perspective that God gives Job, he realizes he is nothing except for God in his life. So he says, listen, please. Therefore, I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, what I did not. He realizes God is God, and I'm not. And that God is the ultimate authority and the ultimate goodness. And God spared him. So Moses or God, the people that are on trial here are the children of Israel. Behold, I'll stand before you there on the rock. I, quote, I want to quote an insightful application by J. Vernon McGee about this scene. The Lord Jesus, as one hymn says, is a rock in a weary land. Although this is a marvelous picture of him as the foundation, the one upon whom we rest and the one upon whom the church is built, a rock is the last place we go for a drink of water. I do not mean to be facetious, but you could not even get hard water from a rock. That would be like getting blood from a turnip or orange juice from a doorknob. I never heard that one. Orange juice from a doorknob, very graphic. 
You can admire a rock's sterling qualities and durability. There are great lessons to be learned from it. You can test it and analyze it, but you cannot drink it. Jesus is a rock, but his beautiful life and durability will not save you. His teachings will not redeem your soul. His life and teachings are like polished marble, which are engraved. And though you apply them to your life with carborundum or optician's rouge, which is their abrasives used for, for polishing precious metals. In other words, you put everything you have into it. They still won't save you. The application of the principles taught by the Lord Jesus may polish you a little, but he is still the rock against which you can dash your foot. You can fall on the rock, Christ Jesus, for salvation, but no human effort is able to get water from this rock. Only when the rock was smitten did it bring forth life-giving waters. Jesus was crucified, and nothing short of believing that he died in your place and bore your sins on that cross will save you. The smitten rock is a picture of the death of Jesus Christ. Friends, I am disturbed and distressed as I look about. The world is thirsty. I ask you personally and particularly, have you been to the smitten rock for a drink of living water? God said if you drink of that water, you will never thirst again, unquote. I love that picture. I love that application. The smitten rock is the place of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross that we might have life. That God may demonstrate to us his authority and goodness in taking care of our problem. And so all the way along, God the Holy Spirit brings us back to the rock of our salvation. Back to our Savior Jesus. Back to the Lamb crucified. Back to the bread of life from heaven. Back to the smitten rock from whom living water flows. Now in Numbers 20, there's another story that follows this. The second time that Moses was to go to the rock, God said, you speak to the rock and water will come out. And what did Moses do? You see, all the complaining got to him. He gets to that rock and he says, you rebellious, and he strikes the rock. Water still comes out. But God says, oh, hey, Mo, I got to talk to you a little bit. And because of his misrepresentation of God's provision and how he provided, he couldn't go into the promised land. You see, the rock's smitten once. And then as we speak to the rock, God pours out his Holy Spirit into our lives just for the asking. It's a beautiful picture of what God did. And the Bible continues to draw us back to Jesus, back to Jesus, back to Jesus. What a wonderful place to stand is with Jesus in all the bad things and all the hard things in our lives. The culmination of all of it is found in the book of Revelation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive glory, honor, and power. It's Jesus. The whole of the Bible from beginning to end is all about God's provision of the rock, smitten and spoken to, that we might overcome and be overcomers in our hearts through God testing us. Are we going to trust him? Are we going to look to him? Are we going to believe him? And so Paul expounds this Exodus narrative with a Jesus application for us. 
So we, we don't have, we're not left to question. Here it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brother, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ in their presence. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent, here it is, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. It's a lesson, it's an example. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual morality. He just starts listing things that are, in, the, in, in a sense, challenging, complaining, Saying, prove it. God's authority and God's goodness. God is not trying to ruin our party. He's not trying to say, you know, I'm going to hold that back from you because you're a bad boy. They say, I want to remove from your life and your heart the things that are going to destroy your life. So, these examples. As some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Or, here it is, or... Let us not tempt Christ. As some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complained as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon them the ends of the ages have come. This is, we're talking thousands of years down the road. And God's saying, you look back to that story and learn. Learn from these things we're going through in Exodus. Therefore, he says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man. But God will, notice, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What is that escape? It's trusting God and his authority and goodness in our lives. It's obedience to him who is the ultimate and final authority and to his goodness. He's not telling us these things because they're bad. He's telling us because this is good. And the beautiful thing that Romans brings out is God causes all things to work together for good. It's not saying all things are good, but God takes all these things and he is so good, so good, he can cause them to work together for our good. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, the challenge in our sinful hearts, the challenge in our selfishness, the challenge that we face is, am I going to trust God's authority and trust his goodness in it to live like he tells me to live. That he's not holding back on me. As the first temptation in the garden said, you know, God knows the minute you eat, you're gonna. He's holding back on you. No, he's not. He's trying to keep us back from ruining our lives. Experiencing his goodness and authority is the ultimate freedom and the ultimate of our salvation. That God is good. So they tempt the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? The test, these testings of their faith seem to be bringing out the worst in them. <laughs> you ever find that to be true? I love the, the, the picture that was given by a, a pastor, uh, John Corson. Long time ago I heard it. And it's like this picture that's ingrained. He said, when you're in a car, you're driving along, you've got your coffee cup up on the, on the dashboard. As long as the road's smooth, you're good. You hit a bump and 
He likened trials to that. He liked these testings to that. You, you hit the bump. The difficulty. And so it seems to bring out the worst in them and in us. But if the worst is still in them, then the best thing that could ever happen is to bring it out in order to get it out of them. That's the same for us. If it's there, God knows our hearts. God knows what's going on. And his testings are to show us, us, what's in our hearts. To bring them out and to get them out of us. To remove Egypt from our lives. To remove the longings and cravings of our flesh from our lives. Is why God tests us. He is present to test us. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so these things that seem to be in opposition to us growing in our faith are actually God's means of us growing in this most holy faith in trusting and believing him and being obedient to him with a pure heart. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are the pure in heart. Psalm says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, no, he's making God, fashioning God like I'd like him. Nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. God wants to bless our lives. It happens under his authority and because of his goodness. First Timothy chapter 1. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. From which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk, Desiring to be teach law, understanding neither what they say, nor the things which they affirm. Oh, I know the scriptures, but see, idle talk gets you nowhere with God. You can have all your doctrines right, yet still have, not have the presence of God. Leonard Ravenhill. Timothy says, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wooden clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Anyone cleanse himself from the latter, the dishonorable things. He will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Now, I love this past, this, these two words here. With those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, we need each other. This work that God's doing, saying you seek the Lord with those because that's so important, and we'll be praying about one of those, our, a fellowship in one of our days of prayer. Who call on with a what? Pure heart. God tests us in everyday things, but he also tests in things we would never choose. I would say amen to that. We are a little more aware of the things we would never choose, but every day in our hearts, the Holy Spirit is, in a sense, working to surface the complaining the contending, the idea that somehow God needs to answer to me when really what I need to do is answer to God in my heart. Therefore, Romans 5, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also, he says, we have access by faith in this grace in which we stand. And not only that, But we also glory in tribulations. How many of you would say, yeah. I'm glorying in my tribulations. I'm tribulating and I love it. Paul's saying, 
Back up. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. Through him also we have access by faith in this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. There's hope. There's faith. There's all these things. But then he says, and not only that, but also the glory of tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces character. Eh, eh. This verse is becoming a life verse. No, tribulation produces what? Perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our by the Holy Spirit. God has not stopped loving you because you're tempting him. God loves us. He saved us. He did all these things. And then Paul writes to the Romans, saying, we glory to him knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. In other words, as I'm being tempted to begin to turn to God and realize, no, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. I'm going to realize God is testing me. He's doing something so he can pour out his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God poured our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. The crucifixion of Christ. Oh, well, we were doing pretty good when Jesus did that. No, we weren't. He died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one died, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. What do I go back to? The smitten rock. I go back to Jesus crucified and realize no matter what's going on in my life, I know that God is testing me to prove in my own heart I need him desperately. And that his authority is saturated by his goodness for me. And he proved it on the cross. Does he have to prove anything? Did he have to prove anything to us? No, but he did that while we were sinners, while we were ungodly. And so these testing, these trials, it's because God loves me, loves you, given to us his Holy Spirit, and wants to pour it out in order to shape and change my character, my nature, how I approach life, in order to free me from the bondage of all these other things, complaining, contending, arguing, James says, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the test of your faith produces patience, perseverance. But let patience have its perfect, and made perfect and complete, lacking nothing. These tests of God are to bring it to a place where we are so full, we lack nothing. Wow. Wow. Test on. Test on. He goes on, blesses the man who endures temptation for when he's been te- approved, he received the crown of life which the Lord will give to those, promise to those who love him. There's a, there's a reward coming. I love this whole idea. God does all this work in us to will and do, and then he rewards us for it. Wow, such a deal. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one's tempted when he's drawn away First of all, drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, so you have this desire, and now it's conceived. It's, I'm going forward. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. 
And he says this twice, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. God is for us, but sin is against us. Our desires and our hearts are against us. Don't be deceived. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But he who, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. God's authority because of God's goodness. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror and he observes himself goes away, and he immediately forgets what manner of man he was. Now, some of us look in the mirror and say, I'm happy to do that. You see, the Word of God is this mirror that begins to show us God's authority and God's goodness. God's authority and God's goodness. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the works. This one will be blessed in what he does. Peter has a whole, talks a lot about this also. In 1 Peter, blesses be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who according to abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. And as I read through these passages, I'm not going to read them all, but you have hope, you have joy, you have rejoicing, you have glory, you have these things that are all encompassed in God's work in our lives through testing. Hope and glory and rejoicing at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a quote from Warren Wearsby. On the map of our lives, how many places ought to be named testing in Coralette? Because of the way we've complained about our circumstance and failed to trust God. It's one thing to sit comfortably in church and sing, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? And quite something else to be confronted with distress and disappointment and meekly say, not my will, but your will be done. He goes on, Corey Ten Boom used, used to say, don't bother to give God constructions, just report for duty. Amen. And so, Max Licato said, don't equate the presence of God with a good mood or a pleasant temperament. God is near whether you're happy or not. So, I close with these passages. Job himself, when he's battling the things that he went through that God allowed in his life, Satan himself, he says these words. I go forward, but he's not there. I can't find him. But I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left, and I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. He knows. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Do you believe that? You may not be able to sense God, feel God, but he knows the way that you take. And what he's doing is allowing that path for your life that you might come out as gold. Refined in the furnace. Proverbs says, the refining pot is for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any what? Wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. The Psalm 139, again, one of those verse, those passages for me. Oh, Lord, you search me, know me, know my sitting down, my rise up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path, my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. That's how he starts it. And then he ends it by saying, God, search me because I don't know. 
Try me because I don't know. I am anxious. And Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me. That's what God wants to do. He wants to lead us in ways of everlasting. So the key verse in the study in Exodus is actually in Deuteronomy. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. You may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you should remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Can you dig it? This is what God's doing. He is present to test us, to change us, so that we're full of hope and glory and perseverance and all these things, and ultimately a crown of life. I look forward to that day, amen, all because of Jesus. Would you stand as I pray, and we'll close with a worship song. So, Lord, again, we're thankful that you are good. In fact, we enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. So having heard the word today, Lord, I'm moved in my heart that you'd search my heart and know me, Lord. Show me that I might know that I don't live by bread alone. I need you. We need you, Lord. We bow before you even now as we starting this new year off and we're putting prayer requests and all those kinds of things. Lord, our prayer ultimately is make us more and more like Jesus. That we would be refined the testing of our faith. Please. That's our heart cry to you this morning.